All of us want to be the best version of ourselves, but often things get in the way. We can get in our own way. Knowing what our best looks like is one of the biggest struggles of being the best of you. So like many of you this past week, um, I, I scrolled through social media and many of you probably watched the news and listened to the news on the radio or podcast. And you probably had a lot of the same emotions I did just as you read through the news. And it's just this sense of one hopelessness, the sense of anger, this sense of sadness. Um, it, just reading story after story of just heartache in our world of reading story after story of of more killings and more shootings. And, and as you scroll through social media, as you feel these different emotions kind of rise up, there's questions that begin to start to bubble up. And, there, and these feelings, and you see them as people post different things. And inevitably, um, as you watch pastors and Christians interact on social media about it, you see them begin to post things like, you know, how long, they quote the Psalms, how long, O oh Lord, do we have to wait? How long do we endure this pain? How long do we have to read about this? And then inevitably, um, as time goes on and days go by, you begin to see people post things about how evil the world is, how awful the world is, and how the only hope of the world is the gospel. Or, or you begin to see people say things like, you know, we, we need more prayer in this. We need this to happen. We need this legislation to pass. We need more thoughts and prayers. And, and people say, you know, my thoughts and prayers are with them. But, but then I was struck by something as I thought about this series, as I thought about James, because one of the biggest parts of James has to do with how we reconcile and deal with the difficulties and the pain that we encounter. And how do we reconcile the goodness of God with the difficulties and pain that we see every single day in our world? And what's our part as followers of Jesus? What, what's our part in how we respond to that? What's our part? Are we, are we called to... Are we called to step into that in a certain way? Is there something that we're supposed to be doing that maybe we're not doing? And I was struck as I thought about the title of the series of The Best of You, because the reality is your world and my world, the world that we interact with every single day needs the best of you. It needs the best of you. It needs your full self to show up and bring Jesus with you. It needs the best of you. And not in some kind of like Pollyannish, like motivational speech kind of way. Like not in like some kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm going to like bring gusto into it. But like, here's, here's why. Because when anything happens, like I said, somebody will say, and I saw, you know, hundreds of pastors this week just say, you know, the world just needs the gospel. But here's the thing. As true as that is, how does the gospel go out? It goes out through the words and actions of the church. And so here's a really uncomfortable question if you're a follower of Jesus. If you're not, you can just totally ignore this question for a second, okay? If you're a follower of Jesus, do your words and actions and your inactions and your lives communicate a correct gospel? Do that. Do our words, do our lives, do our thoughts, do they communicate the hope of the good news of Jesus? Because make no mistake, 
Your words as a follower of Jesus and my words, your actions, my actions, my inactions, your inactions, you know what? They all communicate something. And here's the reality, especially as we talked about all of our students going on a retreat. Right now in our world, there are tens of thousands of people who grew up in the church who are deconstructing their faith because of the words, actions, and inactions of the people who claim to follow Jesus. And it's possible that maybe you're sitting here and you're deconstructing your faith. And you're trying to figure out, you know, I, I read the Bible, but like, I don't, I don't actually see the Bible when I go to church. Like I, I hear the Bible, I hear the good news of Jesus, but I don't know that I see it in the people who claim to follow him. And, and if you have a, a teenager or a college student, if you're a parent, you've probably had these conversations where they look at you and they just say, you know, it doesn't seem to like line up with what people say. And James, James is trying to help the church reconcile with this. See, I think a lot of the people that we interact with Every single day, they have heard the gospel and they have watched the people who say and claim to follow Jesus and they go, they're not the same, so that gospel can't be true. It can't be real. And here's the thing, is that this for many people who are outside of the church who don't follow Jesus, the actions of the church and the people who claim to follow Jesus are the reason they don't follow Jesus. Not because the gospel is not true, not because the gospel is not powerful, not because the gospel is not good news. It is all of those things. It's just that the people who claim to follow Jesus don't look anything like it. Now we have all the right words. And here's the thing. We know how to do the bare minimum of things. But nobody really wants to go through life doing the bare minimum. Like we know how to do the bare minimum in school. Like maybe when you were in high school, you, you got just good enough grades to be able to play sports. You know how to do the bare minimum at work, right? You, you've, total, you've mailed in projects at work. You're like, this will get by. This will do it. Right? I remember when I, was, when I was getting my master's degree, I would get a syllabus at the beginning of every class. And my teachers, I don't know why they did this, but they weighted, they weighted every single assignment. So I knew how much each assignment was worth in my grade. So here's what I did. I went through and I crossed off the assignments that I wasn't going to do so I could get the right grade. I was like, you know, I'm just not going to do that. I'm not going to waste my time on a 1% assignment. Just doesn't matter. We do this in relationships all the time. Maybe you have a friend that just does the bare minimum, right? And they're a really great friend. I mean, you just love them because you're like, you know what? They're just like being the bare minimum friend. I love that. Like if your spouse, can you imagine your spouse just being like, hey, like I, like what's the bare minimum of like love I need to give you? Like, like, like just like ballpark it for me. Like what's the bare minimum Valentine's Day gift I need to give you? Like what, like just, if, if your spouse said that to you, you wouldn't be like, it's like a, it's like a Hallmark commercial. Like it's so warm. Like we wouldn't feel that. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. We do the bare minimum when it comes to God. Here's how we think about faith a lot of times. Because the heart of James is about what is a real and authentic faith. And here's how many of us think about faith. We think about it as checking boxes. I went to church, check. I read my Bible sporadically, check. I pray when like other things haven't worked, check. Like I, I give, check. And then, we wonder 
why we don't see God move in our world as much. Because no one feels great when we do the bare minimum in life. So, what do we do with that? What does James have to say about that? I mean, because James is writing to a group of people who have been scattered throughout the Roman Empire because of the persecution that they have experienced for their faith. And he's writing to them to say, in a culture that is completely against the gospel, here's how you transcend that. And what's interesting is that nowhere in the New Testament do you see any of the writers of the New Testament tell us to do many of the things Christians do in our culture today. Instead, James says what? Just, just do it. Just do what God tells you to. Which seems super simple. But let's be honest. We much rather to just, we, we'd rather just listen. We'd rather just listen. I'd rather somebody else do it. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I'd rather just listen. But James says for us to be transformed, for us to actually do the work that God calls us to, we actually have to be transformed by the gospel. And so what happens then is that we actually come to the gospel, we come to the Bible, and we come looking for things. I've said this before. We come looking for things that the Bible does not set out to give us. And so then when we look for the wrong things with the Bible, we miss what God has for us. See, James tells us in verse 18, he says, by his own choice, God gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his, of his creatures. So James says the word of truth comes to us and we are changed into the first fruits of God's creatures. We're transformed, we're changed. Now here's what happens. Many of us, when we come to the Bible, we actually don't come to the Bible to be transformed. We come to the Bible, some of us looking to learn things about God. We come to the Bible looking for ammunition to tell people that we're correct. We come to the Bible looking to back up our political views. It doesn't matter which side of the aisle you're on, you can find a verse for it. We come looking to the Bible to be able to tell somebody else some truth. Like you've read, you've read a passage in the Bible, you've heard a sermon, you're like, I can't wait till I can send that to them. Like, I can't wait to be like, hey, like God told me to tell you this. And now here's the thing, God may have told you that, but there's a good chance that he told you. It may just be for you. We come looking to the Bible for all kinds of things except wanting the Bible to change us. And then we wonder, why is God not moving in my world like I hoped he would? Why am I not being transformed? Why am I not being changed? Why do I still, what have we looked at last week with temptation and addiction? Why do I still do the same things again and again and again that I can't stop? So James tells us what the goal of the Bible is. The goal of the Bible, the goal of God's word is to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. That's the goal. It is not to know more things about God. It is not to be able to score 100% on a Bible knowledge test. It is none of those things. We are not gonna get to heaven and God go, well, you know, we only let people in who get A's and B's on this knowledge test. It's not gonna be like that. Jesus tells us there's gonna be a whole slew of people who stand before God and go, but I did all of these amazing things for you. I knew all the right answers. And Jesus is gonna look at them and say, what does he say in Matthew 7? I don't know who you are. I don't know who you are. I never knew you. The scariest verse in the Bible is that it is possible 
to spend your entire life thinking you are right with God and find out at the wrong moment that you're not. And James, James picks this whole thing up. Why? I mean, he spent his whole life hanging out with Jesus. He was his brother. And so what does he say? It is not just about learning. Look what he says, my dear brothers and sisters in verse 19. Understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. He says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, every time I've heard this verse talked about, it's always talked about in, in, in relationships, right? They say in, in marriage, you know, be, be quick to listen, be slow to speak. You've told your kids this, you know, you have two ears and one mouth, so listen more than you speak. I mean, it sounds right. And that's good advice when it comes to relationships. But the context of this is not about relationships, but about the Bible. The context of this is how we receive and take what the Bible has to say. Are we quick to listen to what the Bible has to say and slow to speak? Or are we fast to take it in and fast to get it out? Some of us are really slow to listen. And we're like, that's probably, that's probably for somebody else. I, some of you right now are thinking, I really hope someone's listening to this. Like some of you are thinking, I'm really glad my spouse is here. My friend is here. My kids are here. I'm really glad they're here. I hope they're listening. Are you quick to listen to the Bible and slow to speak and slow to anger? Do you let it simmer when you hear something? Do you let it dig into you? See, James says when we read, when we hear the Bible, we're, we're slow to speak. What is that? We're slow to do something about it. We take it in. We're slow to anger. See, anger, when we think of anger, we think of like um, kind of like really big outbursts, like slamming doors and cupboards and stuff like that and shouting. That's what we think of when we think of anger. The word that James uses here for anger actually means a deep-seated resentment that only you and God can see. And some of us, when we read the Bible, one, we read it really fast, like we do social media, so we just scroll through it. How fast can I get through it? I've done this where I'm like trying to read the Bible in a year, and I'm like, how fast can I read the Bible in a year? Like, how, how quickly can I get through today just to go, I read my Bible today. But James says, slow down. Take it in. If you read something, don't immediately think I need to tell somebody else this. Like I said, it's maybe for you. That's why you read it. If God wants them to know it, they'll get to read it. Slow down, take it in, listen. And then he says anger and that resentment because what do we do when we're angry and resentful? We push it away and say, it's not for me. And we do this with the Bible all the time. I mean, we've read stuff in the Bible and we're like, you know what, that, I, I, I don't wanna do that. I don't like that. There's lots of verses in the Bible that I wish weren't in the Bible. Like there's lots of things I've read and I'm like, I really wish that I didn't have to do that. I really wish that God didn't put that there. Like I, I, there's lots of things and you have them too. You know, but like, well, I'll hear people say a lot, you know, I know the Bible says that, but, you know, but let me tell you why that doesn't, that doesn't apply to me. I know the Bible says that, you know, God told one guy to sell everything he has, but like, that's, that's not for me. I know the Bible says that that guy's supposed to be born again, but that's not for me. Now, here's the thing. Every verse in the Bible is not supposed to be applied the way, like, so when Jesus comes and says to the rich young ruler, sell everything and give it to the poor, that, that doesn't mean everyone is supposed to do that. But he did tell one person that. So it, it, it might be for you. 
that may be the struggle. Like we'll say things like, you know, I know the Bible says I'm supposed to be generous, but like I, like I just, I don't have any margin. I don't have any margin. I know the Bible says I'm supposed to like pray first, but like, I don't, I don't have time. I know the Bible says sex outside of marriage is wrong, but like that's, that's outdated. And, and we're in love. I mean, we're in love. Like here's one. I know the Bible says not to lie and cut corners, but like, Josh, everybody does it at work. It's the only way forward. See, anytime we say, I know the Bible says, but what we have just said is, that's not for me and God, I know more than you. And we do this so many times through our actions without even knowing it. That maybe we're even unaware of it. And the thing is, you and I can always find a reason why that verse doesn't apply to us. We can always find a reason. We can always find a reason to be like the two people who stood on the other side of the road and walked past the guy broken down on the side of the road and be like, you know what? Someone else will come along and help him. Someone else will be the good Samaritan. You and I can always find a way that the Bible is not for us. It's not hard. And that's the deep-seated resentment, pushing back, anger. So James says, be quick to listen. Take it in. Slow to speak. Slow to say, I don't know that that's for me. Because what happens when we take it in? The wisdom that we learn the people that we let speak into our lives, that wisdom, those words influence who you and I become. We know this. If you're a parent, grandparent, you've told people this. The people you're around, that's who you become. The people you listen to and who influences you, that's who you become. And to become all that God wants you to become, you have to listen to the right, right words. See, if you're taking notes, write this down. Who you are is determined by what you put in you. You know this. This isn't, new. this isn't new. This isn't a revelatory thing. Who you are is determined by what you take in. Your anger is determined by what you take in. Your sadness is determined by what you take in. Your, your, your transformation is determined by who you listen to, who you read. It determines who you become. And the, the writers of the New Testament knew this. They say this in numerous places about what the Bible does and how it changes us. Paul in Ephesians 4 says, take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the what? The truth. So when we read the Bible, when the truth comes into us, it transforms us, it changes us from our old self to our new self, the truth. Colossians 3, it says, but now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self. So all that is the old self. That's the untransformed parts of you before Jesus. Put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. So the Bible helps us to know what to do. It gives us the knowledge. First Peter two, therefore rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants desire the pure milk of the word so that by it, you may grow up into your salvation. So the truth grows us. It grows us. 
So the Bible changes us. It transforms us. It shows us what the old and how to become the new. It grows us into that. But how? James tells us in verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. This is one of the verses that I wish wasn't in the Bible. Tell you why. Because I really, really like reading verses in the Bible that I don't have to do anything about. And you do too. And the world around us is tired of a church that just listens and doesn't do anything about what they just heard. If you don't believe me, ask some teenagers why they don't want to hang out in church. Ask some young adults why they don't want to go to church. And they'll tell you, because you guys are nothing like Jesus. That's what the church is. We're just a bunch of people that listen to some nice words and feel good and go home. And James says that should never be true of followers of Jesus. It should never be that we just heard it and did nothing about it. There should never be a hint of yeah, but when we come to God's word. There should never be a moment that we say, that's not for me. You and I, we're not the exception of any verse. We're not. And, and we look for it. We do. We look, we look for reasons that we don't have to forgive our enemies. We look for reasons that we don't have to love that person that is brutally hard to love. We look for all kinds of reasons to hold on to our bitterness and resentment and how to prove ourselves that we're right in holding on to it. But we don't get that. We don't get that option. And James tells us, here's what happens when we deceive ourselves. Look in verse 23, he says, because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. So he says many people, there's different ways we come to the Bible. We come to the Bible and we hear it and some immediately walk away and forget what they heard. So it's like a person who looks in the mirror. Right, because in this culture in the first century, they didn't have mirrors like we did. They weren't able to pull out their phone and be like, hey, is my hair on point today? Like they weren't able to do that. They had like brass and, and other things and bronze to be able to look at. Maybe a wealthy person had silver and gold that they could see what they looked like. But it was so dim, it was so hard to see that it was easy to walk away and forget what you looked like. Right, and you've done this. Like, I mean, you've probably walked into a room and you're like, why did I come in here? Like, I knew it was something. And many of us, we've read the Bible and we're like, what did I just read? And so what does he say? Stare intently into the perfect law of what? Freedom. That God's word brings freedom. It brings freedom and we are to stare into it. Intently. Not like, you know, I got other things on my mind, like, oh, I'm just going to bounce off to this or like, oh, you know, I want to make sure I post, get a really great picture on Instagram and me reading my Bible so people know how spiritual I am. Like none of that. Stare intently. What does intent mean? You're intense about it. 
You're staring at God's word. You are taking it in. Why? Because it brings freedom. And he says, don't be a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works. Now, this is important. We're going to see this in two weeks. One of the most controversial passages in the entire Bible is in James 2, where he talks about the connection of faith and works. Notice the order here, okay? He says, the word comes to us, the word of truth, God's word comes to us. We hear it. We are changed and transformed by it. Then we go in obedience and do the work. The order matters. The work does not come before our faith. Our work does not save us. Our work does not make us right with God. Our work shows the evidence of what God has done, okay? It shows the evidence that things have changed in your life. So here's, here's a really uncomfortable gauge for us. If nobody sees the changed work in you, are you actually changed? If nobody can look at your life and go, he or she is different, are we changed? Because I know I'm harping on this, but one of the things that is really at stake is the faith of the next generation and whether or not they see we are changed. They are watching. Not just, the, not just our kids and students in our church, but our kids and students in this whole region are watching the church and around the world saying, are their works actually changed and from a transformed heart? And I don't know that they believe they are. And James tells us, here's how to know what it looks like. It is one of the most simple and yet difficult verses in the Bible. He says in verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. See, when James says the word religion, we often like, it, we have a lot of negative overtones to that word. But James, when he uses this, he is talking about an outward practice, a way of living, a reflection of what's in our heart. So he says, if anyone thinks he is changed, if anyone thinks he is transformed without controlling his tongue, he's lying to himself. What does it mean to control your tongue? Well, I mean, you could probably think over this past week, did you control your tongue? Did you give words of life? Did you break people down? Were you kind? Did people walk away from talking with you and say, man, that was, that was like talking to Jesus. Man, that was, I mean, like the life that just came out. And, and here's why I said, because you have met with people and you have talked to people and you were like, that was, that was like being with Jesus. Their words just brought life. Their words just brought life. Or did you just tear them down? Did you tear them down? Did you type anything this past week on social media that brought life or tore people down? Even if you don't know the people that you brought life to or the people that you tore down. Because it's easy on social media to do that. Here's on it. We'll, we'll just talk about other people because we love to do that. Because that's, you know, did you read anything this past week that you're like, you know what, that, that's not actually bringing life. That's, that's actually tearing down. 
James says, if you do that, you're just lying to yourself. He says, but. And I think that word, I think what he says after. So put in that, his religion is useless. His way of living is useless. His actions are useless. I mean, that is, I'll be honest, that is a very, very uncomfortable verse. But pure religion, verse 27, pure and undefiled way of living before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. See, when we think about our tongues, look at that last phrase, unstained from the world. This past week, did you find yourself being stained from the world? The things you took in. I mean, think about it, the things you took in. Did they bring you life and encourage you in your faith? Did they make your blood boil? Did they raise your anxiety levels? Did you walk away from everything you watched and listened to this past week and feel stained or unstained? I mean, that's a question for us to ask about the media we take in. He says, but this is a pure and undefiled religion, an undefiled way of living. Look after orphans and widows in their distress. See, in this culture, in the first century, the orphans and the widows were the most overlooked and powerless of the culture. They were the voiceless of the culture. They were the ones begging on the side of the road. They were the ones who, who were stuck in the midst of slavery because they couldn't provide for themselves. See, in this verse, a lot of times we'll get used for, um, people will stand up and say, well, this means every follower of Jesus is supposed to adopt. And I don't think that that's what this verse means. And adoption is a huge part of our story as a family. And it's close to our heart. We've adopted two kids. And so I do think that there are some people who will read James 127 and go, you know what? Not everybody is supposed to step into adoption, but, but somebody is. And stepping into adoption just kind of, like it is not just about adopting, but it's also about how you step in to help people who do adopt or who do foster care or how you involve yourself in the overlooked of our culture. And so some of us in here, part of living out our faith might be stepping into the gap in those places. It might be. Some of you may know people who are fostering and who are thinking about adopting or maybe have adopted. And maybe for you, it's saying, okay, how do I come alongside of them? How do I, how do I help their family? How do I raise money for them? I mean, adoptions, are, some of them are hundreds of thousands of dollars. How do I step into that? But then for all of us, here's, here's the question James is forcing us to ask. If the orphans and the widows are the powerless and the voiceless, who are the powerless and the voiceless of your world? Who are the powerless and the voiceless in your world? See, as we're going to see in James chapter two, the powerless and the voiceless are at the center of the heart of God. The powerless and the voiceless are at the center of the heart of God. Throughout scripture, we'll hear again and again that God is a father to the fatherless. He is the protector to the weak. That is the heart of God. 
And when we live out our faith, if our faith and the way we live it out is not intertwined with the heart of God, we've missed it. Because the world around us is looking at the way we live and all of our actions tell the world around us, tell the people closest to us, this is what the heart of God looks like. Watch my life and I will show you what the heart of God looks like. And for many people around us, our actions and our inactions have said to them, I don't want anything to do with that heart. And so James asks us to step back as followers of Jesus and say, okay, do my actions and inactions, my thoughts, my emotions, do they line up with the heart of God? Can people see the heart of God, the actual heart of God through my actions? See, here's some of the powerless and the voiceless in maybe your world. They are widows and orphans. They are powerless and voiceless. But it's also that, that kid at school that sits by himself at lunch. It's also the person who is the butt of every joke. You, you know that one. You, you've stood and you've laughed uncomfortably at somebody. It, it's that mom that gets left out. You know, the one that when she walks in, moms, you, you, you all kind of look. That, that's, that's the overlooked. That's the overlooked. It's the person that you should invite, but you don't want to invite. That's the overlooked. It's the neighbor that everybody talks about. Do you have the neighbor? Everybody has that neighbor. It's the family that you go, oh, they're trying. That's the overlooked. That's the overlooked. It's the one sitting at the office that their family is just falling apart. That's the overlooked. Now, here's the thing about the overlooked, as we're going to see next week in chapter two. Serving and loving the overlooked does not move your life forward. It does not gain you anything. Which is why many times as followers of Jesus, we just go to the side, say, I bet someone else will come along. But for whatever reason, the moment that I said the overlooked and the powerless and the voiceless, somebody came to mind for you. There's somebody who came to mind for you. And my hunch is it's somebody that, that is a little uncomfortable for you. It's maybe somebody that you don't want to reach out to, but there's somebody, there's an image, there's a person. And God did not put somebody else in their life. He put you. He put you. And James says, if you have been changed, when God says go, you just start walking. When God says go over to that person and sit down, you just go over. What did we see when we talked about decisions? We go, yeah, but I want to know what comes next. You don't get to. You just take a step. And is any of it going to be easy? Because what have we looked at? I mean, we've looked at trials, making decisions, temptations. Do you see how all of these things lead to whether or not we will live out our faith? So really simple question as we close. 
Who's the powerless in your world? Are you serving and loving the powerless and the voiceless? And here's why this is at the heart of God, okay? So every week as we, when we close our services, we, we close by taking communion together. And when we do that, when we take communion, we, we don't just, it's not just an act that we do, but it is us as followers of Jesus reminding ourselves, don't miss this, reminding ourselves that at one point, we were the powerless and the voiceless and God came to us. So when we say this is at the center of the heart of God, this is the center of the gospel. That God and his goodness knew you and I were the powerless and voiceless. Paul said in Romans that before we knew we were sinners, Christ died for us. Before we even knew we, we need, had needs, before we even knew that we were broken and sinful, Christ died for us. And what, what did he get in return? What did Jesus get in return? He made a way for you and me to be right with God. And so as we take communion this week, here, here's a couple of things that I want us to, I want to encourage us to do. One, some of us maybe need to just spend a moment just confessing to God that we have not reflected the heart of God well. And that's okay. Confessing that to God and saying, God, I have not reflected your heart well. I have not loved and served and gone out to the powerless and the voiceless well. I have watched people be made fun of. I have watched people, you know, uh, be excluded and, I, and I've done nothing. And it's okay to admit that to God. That is the grace of God that we can then come to him. God doesn't turn away when we say those things to him. Instead, he runs to us. And maybe as we take communion as well, it's also this reminder that we are being strengthened. We talk about this all the time, that communion is looking back to what Jesus has done for us and looking forward to when Jesus will come again. But as we look forward, we also look to all of the things that God calls us to and empowers us to do through the spirit. So you and I, as we love and serve the powerless and the voiceless are going to need the power of the spirit to do it. And we have. So as we close, it's a really, James is a very simple book. It's a very uncomfortable book. But there is one person in your life. There's probably many, but there's at least one person in your life that is powerless and overlooked. And James says, don't just be hearers, be doers. And so I want us to take a moment. We're going to have some time here to just pray. I'm going to pray for us. And then I want to give us a moment just to confess what we need to bring before God. And maybe you need to apologize to somebody this week. Maybe there's somebody at work or at school that you need to say, hey, you know what? I didn't, I didn't step in. I should have stepped in. I, I didn't. So Father, I thank you that once when we were powerless and voiceless, you came to us. And we... We're without a heavenly father, you came to us because you are the father to the fatherless. You, have the, you are the protector of the overlooked. So God, we don't want to just be hearers of your word. We don't want to live out a religion that is useless. 
mean, what a thought that we could spend our whole lives doing things that are absolutely useless in your eyes. So God, some of us, all of us really, on some level need to confess that we are doing things that are not of use to you, that do not reflect your heart. So God, we confess that it is easy to listen and not do. But you tell us to not just be hearers. And so God, help us to stop putting off the things that we want to put off. Help us to stop running from the things we don't want to do. And help us to step into the places of the vulnerable, into the places of the forgotten, into the places where nobody else is stepping into. In your name, amen. I want to encourage you to just take a moment just where you're at to just bring whatever maybe came up today to God. And then when you're ready, there's stations down front here for you to come and take communion. And when you get back to your seat, I'd encourage you to just stay standing with us as we just continue to worship and just continue to commit ourselves to what God calls us to.